NetCredit is here to say yes, because you're more than a credit score. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partners. NetCredit. Credit to the people. Hulu is coming in hot this month with new shows, new movies, and all new seasons of your faves. Don't miss FX's Clipped, the story of one NBA team's racial reckoning, starring Lawrence Fishburne. Stream a new season of Shorzy, the underdog hockey comedy that might just knock your teeth out. Then catch the high-speed drama Ferrari starring Adam Driver and Penelope Cruz. Kick your streaming into high gear this month with so much new stuff to watch on Hulu. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the Pod of Thunder and Rock and Roll. And today, Dave Meltzer returns to the show to help discuss the life and tragic times of the Dynamite Kid. Dynamite, real name Tommy Billington, passed away last Wednesday on his 60th birthday. Had a lot of serious health issues since retiring from wrestling, which he did at the very young age of 33 years old. But one of the most influential performers of all time, one of my favorites when I was a a teenager uh, and watching the WWF at the time. Dave and I talk all about the fact that Dynamite was confined to a wheelchair by the time he was 38 or 39 years old. But the influence he has on wrestling to this day, his style lives on in so many of the guys. I mean, uh, Chris Benoit had Dynamite down to a T. Bret Hart took a lot from Dynamite. If you're talking about Jamie Noble, you're talking about even guys like myself, uh, Ultimo Dragon, Jushin Liger. You know how much uh, he inspired the, the, the guys from my generation. Dave and I talk about his complicated career from coming to Stampede Wrestling and eventually landing at the WWF and becoming the British Bulldogs with his cousin Davey Boy Smith. We'll talk about Dynamite's uh, tenuous relationship with Vince McMahon, his relationship and falling out with Davey Boy, uh, his time in Japan when he jumped ship from New Japan to All Japan without telling anybody, uh, the amazing matches he had with Tiger Mask, the uh, basically career-ending injury he had um, uh, in the ring. So much to talk about, the very controversial, uh, critically acclaimed yet critically deplored Dynamite Kid. So here we go with Dave Meltzer from the Wrestling Observer Newsletter as we talk about the late Dynamite Kid. <laughs> All right, so back again on uh, Talk is Jericho, one of my favorite guests, especially when it comes to talking about a certain performer's life, Dave Meltzer from Wrestling Observer Newsletter. And, you know, we've talked about Chris Benoit, we've talked about Bruiser Brody and, um, you know, the the whole Montreal screw job and, you know, all, all these controversial things. But I think one of the most mysterious guys as far as uh for the level of influence he has has to be the dynamite kid and dynamite kid obviously passed away uh, earlier this week and a, a very mysterious strange controversial guy outside of the ring as well as in it i think you know when i watch i never thought about it much but when i start when you watch wrestling now what really hit me is how influential tiger mask and dynamite kid were to so many aspects of wrestling because when those guys came in, I mean, if you were under say 200 pounds and this is, you know, it really, it started in Japan, but really in, in the United States and Canada now, but you know, if you were under 200 pounds, you really couldn't be a wrestler or, or if you could break in, you couldn't make any money at it. And then those guys kind of opened those doors for the Ray Mysterios and people like that. Like even you growing up, 
I don't know how much you saw of dynamite, but it was one of those things where you know you were you would have you were on the small side when you broke in, and now we always joke that like now you're a big guy, right. you know what I mean? And you're, and you're the same size as you were before, you know, just how, how the business has changed. But Dynamite Kid was one of those key guys in ushering it in, and also the the style when I watch all these young guys and how they wrestle. So many of them, it just reminds me so much of how even the ones who don't even know Dynamite Kid were influenced by Dynamite Kid because if you watch, you know, Chris Benoit or Liger or um, Rey Mysterio or any of those guys, and they were the in- inspiration for, like, smaller guys getting in, they're really taken from that. Like, if, if you think about that, those Di- Tiger Mask Dynamite Kid matches, so much of that is kind of like almost like a template of where and not the whole business, but an aspect of the business went, you know, in the modern style. You know, even even like if you if you um, follow Brett, you know, like if Brett Hart is like your inspiration, you know, Brett got so much of it from watching Dynamite Kid, you know, because that was like when Brett Hart was started, Dynamite Kid was like the guy. That whole Stampede Wrestling territory, you know, and I don't want to say it's a bunch of Dynamite Kid clones, but there were five or six of them, and, you know, Benoit being the most famous of them. Well, another thing, too, and um I think one thing that Dynamite really started was yes, he was a small guy, but even before he got all jacked up in the in the you know eighties WWE when he was just even Stampede, he worked like he was so much bigger, and I think that was the first example of that because you're talking about guys working, you know, kind of a more high flying style, and then you know Owen Hart for me was the guy that really started doing things that I'd never seen before on a North American level, which was then taken over by Rey Mysterio. But when you're talking about guys, you mentioned Eddie, or you didn't mention him, you mentioned Benoit, you know, Eddie, even a guy like myself, a guy like Mysterio, Liger as well. They worked a lot bigger than they really were. And to me, that's Dynamite's was the guy that really ushered that in because you could believe, much like Benoit working with The Undertaker or The Giant or whoever, that if Dynamite Kid was in the ring with those guys, you would believe that he was actually able to kick their ass just by his ruthless style that he had inside the ring. He was so intense. Right. You know, and he was so quick and strong at the same time. You know, he was a really incredible athlete. And, yeah, no, I remember watching him, like, with, like, Terry Gordy and people like that in Japan, and he would come off the ropes and he would knock them flying, and it was very believable looking, even though they're much, much bigger than he was because of the speed and just and the, and the kind of power and explosiveness that he had. Now, it's interesting, too, because you mentioned, you know, Benoit, total clone of Dynamite Kid, you know, completely. And then you look at a guy like Jamie Noble, total clone of Chris Benoit, who's a total clone of the Dynamite Kid. Like, those, those three guys are like a biblical story, like this guy begat, this guy begat, this guy. But one of the things with Benoit, and we know this specifically from the, the, the events at the end of his life, but there's a lot more to it than that, which we'll discuss, is Dynamite Kid, you know, Bret Hart called him kind of a Ty Cobb-esque figure in that he was just one of the greatest of all time at what he did, but also just a miserable, kind of a deplorable human being in a way outside of the ring. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny because I, I remember like Julie Hart once told me, and, you know, and Julie's sister Merritt was married to dynamite when he was in calgary for yeah all michelle years. right right yeah michelle and and she would you know she would just go like you know dynamite kid like in her mind like she'd go like but remember she's seen dynamite when dynamite was in calgary and he was young and all that and and it was like you know i think dynamite kids the greatest wrestler there ever was and he was like as great as of a wrestler he was he was that bad of a human being you know and you know it's funny because 
dynamite, you know, like, like everyone, I mean, I'm sure there's like, he, there's a good side and a bad side. He was a scary guy, but at the same time, you know, he was very loyal to his, his friends and their, you know, the people he would stick up for. And there were stories of him being a bully, yet the other things that you would hear is if you were a bully to one of his friends, he'd be the first person to stick up for you. He right. wouldn't like, he would, you know, so it's, it's a complex guy. You know, it's like, I hate saying the guy is like all terrible, but I mean, he, you know, he ex-laxed guys' drinks and put halcyons in guys' drinks and, you know, chopped up their clothes and, you know, all of that kind of stuff, which, you know, is, I mean, the, the you know, spiking the drinks is more on the vicious side. The chopping up of the clothes might be like a rib, but it's still, it's a complete drag, right? If you're on the road and they break in your bags, I mean, it's not, you know, make fun of you and everything like that. You know, it's, it's not, I, I don't want to say it's, it's harmless, but. You know, I don't know. But yeah, it's like... The Calgary Territory as a whole had that reputation. I remember meeting Jesse Ventura on the streets of Winnipeg in 1989 or 88, whatever it was, telling him, like, I'm going to go to the Hart family dungeon to train to wrestle. He goes, well, if you can make it if you can make it out of there, you can make it anywhere. You know, like, there was so many ribs and so many things happening that he might have just been, you know, a product of, of, of the area. I remember hearing a story, J.R. Foley used to be the, the, the manager there, and that uh, Dynamite filled a toilet bowl full of lighter fluid, knowing that J.R. used to smoke on the, on the toilet. And when, when he threw the cigarette in, it, like, blew his ass. Like, you know, like, that's not yeah. a rib. That's, like, attempted murder. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. You know? So you you'd always hear those type of stories. Uh, another one that I heard... I don't know who knows what's true and what's not is that when J.R. Foley died, that dynamite actually got his body and pulled like a weekend at Bernie's and took him out on the town for a night. Like you'd hear these. Oh man, I never heard that one. You know, another one was when I went to the dungeon, there was a big hole in the wall right in front of the pull down machine. And the, the rumor was that dynamite had found a, a kid who might've had, maybe he was slow or some kind of physical issues. And dynamite was like spotting him with, 280 on the rack and then when the kid pulled it down dynamite let him go and the kid just kind of shot into the wall and put oh a hole God. in the wall so those are the type of stories that i heard about dynamite kid when i first showed up in calgary in 1990 wow yeah i mean i just heard you know just kind of like the the, the, the vicious side and things like that yet i mean like you know you go to japan and he was like a like a, almost like a, a deity in a, in a weird way i mean like I, mean, I think more like a rock star than a deity but um you know, those people who grew up with him and everything, and, and um, you know, he's, he's such, such part of their culture, and the whole, you know, the whole junior heavyweight division really stems from those two guys getting over, and, I mean, like, again, like, with you, you, you had to combat being smaller early in your career, but he had to do it, like, if you think of what you had to combat to make it in the United States, he right. had it ten times worse because there was no dynamite kid when, when right. he started. I mean, you, you at least, there were guys who had made it that were that were already there but he's in there like you know think about and and i mean like again i've talked to like some of his friends and people like that in the last couple of days and and they're just kind of telling me about how you know he shows up like in the dressing room in madison square garden when he's 175 pounds legit and you know everybody there's 240 right right and they're like you know he walks in and they're all la like laughing at him right and you know and and you know he's a guy from calgary who's who's on the show because new japan sent him you know, it's not like he's a WWF guy. And then he goes out there and outworks everyone, like, to a, by ten times, you know. But right. he had that, like, built-in resentment that 
they're making more money than me. And, and you know, kind of like lazy Americans type of a, an attitude, you know, lazy fat Americans, and they're making more money than me, and I can outwork them, and I can outdraw them. And, you know, he had that, you know, I think he, he's, I think he's like the typical guy, you know, who had this chip on his shoulder, but that chip on his shoulder made him, right. you know, such a, an incredible performer because he had that chip on his shoulder. He had, he had to prove himself because, you know, they, everybody like thought he shouldn't be in wrestling. And that's that stems into like you said earlier about the intensity that he had inside the ring. You know there had to have been some deep set, you know, anger or feelings. And I felt the same with, with, with Benoit is that one of the reasons why he was so good is because he was so intense and so focused, laser laser light focused on everything that he did. Uh he had to be the best at it. And you know, I, I find that was the same type of style with with Dynamite Kid, you know, and, and you would see I mean, just look at Chris's body in comparison to, to to Dynamites. I mean, they had the same body, same look on their face. I mean, Benoit had him down to a T. Oh, they would they walked the same. Yeah, walked. You know, the like same. just the way they they walked around the ring. The one thing Dynamite was much quicker though than Chris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I mean, the one story I heard, and I'd never heard this until last night, was they brought you know when Dynamite first came in from England. You know, you know he didn't grow up playing football, and and and. Um, a lot of the wrestlers that were in that territory grew up playing football, and they would do like these eight-on-eight games in, on the lawn in front of the Hart House on Sundays, some after you know afternoons and things like that. And here's this this guy who's never played football, and they would like hand him the ball, and he was like so fast that like nobody could touch him, you know. And and and, and Ross Hart was telling me that like you know he probably he'd grown up here would have been like you know a football star because right. he would have been an incredible running back. I mean, but but he was that level of an athlete. You know, like, again, he'd never even played the game, and, and he could walk in and, and play the game better than the guys who, you know, grew up playing it from childhood. You know, when you, when you watch, I watch some of his, his matches and clips and snippets, and you see some of the stuff from, from All Japan, and so fast and quick. Like, even, he took a, I was watching a match to hit with Kenyaki uh, Kobayashi. Is that his name? Kenyaki Kobayashi? Kenyaki Kobayashi, yeah. yeah, yeah. And he took a backdrop, and, and dude, like, Kobashi barely even threw him, and he went halfway across the ring. Like just everything he did looked so intense, but it was actually kind of funny too because when he was giving out the offense, it was all very crisp and super fast. He was a little bit slower when he was taking bumps in this particular match. Some something must have pissed him off. I could tell. Not that he was sandbagging, but he was like, "When I'm doing my shit, I'm going super fast, and when he takes a when he takes the bump on me, I'm going to take it a little bit, you know, a little bit slighter." But I mean, that's yeah. the type. Like, this is a guy once again training, like you said, in in the Snake Pit in Wigan, uh, in England, which was notorious for being the shooters, you know, playground. He 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 was not a guy that 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 you could toss around the ring, no matter how big or small he was. Yeah, if he didn't if he didn't want to cooperate and everything right. like that. Yeah, it was it was always interesting, and also like in that New Japan, like the New Japan in that era, it was always like. Um, you know, it's like it's a work, but it's a half shooting within the work, and kind of like a there's there was always that little bit of like bullying and semi re I, I don't you know you know, like semi realism if you know what I mean sure and and also there's but also some of it was the work to look like that too you know so it's kind of like but you know sometimes you would watch stuff and you would go I don't think they're cooperating that well and they really weren't you know it's like almost like a communication like like when the Japanese would wrestle the Japanese you would never see it. But but if the Japanese would wrestle the foreigners, sometimes the Japanese would, you know, I don't know. They would just they wouldn't wrestle the foreigners like they would wrestle each other. You know, almost mm -hmm. like this is 
you know, kind of like a little bit of resentment of the foreigners to a degree. Um, and then you had the thing, the guys like Dynamite, who I think was, I just got the impression when I would watch his matches that, that Dynamite, like if everything's cool, he's cool. But as soon as it breaks down, like he could be as stubborn as anyone about like, you know, kind of like mm-hmm. screw you. You know what I mean? If you're not going to do anything, then I'm going to not do anything too. And once again, it's like, just to keep perspective on this, it's like I tell, you know, musicians, younger musicians or, or younger music fans, excuse me, like when Metallica first came out in the early 80s, basically the same time frame as when Dynamite did, nobody had ever heard anything that fast and heavy. Now everybody plays fast and heavy. Metallica almost seems tame in existence uh, in, uh, in uh, comparison, but they were the first and so far ahead of the curve. Same with Dynamite, like watching these matches with the drop kicks off the top and the snap suplexes and the headbutts and, you know, everything that he did. Nobody was wrestling like he was at the time. He was the pioneer of this really quick, fast, intense style. Am I correct in saying that? Absolutely. I mean, that's the one thing because, you know, if you watch Dynamite Kid with today's eyes, you kind of go like, okay, wow, he's kind of similar to the guys now as compared to watching the other guys. But when you watched it then, he was completely not similar to almost anyone. It was, And it was... Again, he had a he had a real charisma about the way he he stood. He just walked around the ring and everything like that. But like, yeah, like just everything. You know, you watch the moves like the Tombstone Pile Driver. He was one of the first guys I ever saw do that. The Gotch Pile Driver. I guess Gotch probably did it first. But you know, I mean, he was the first guy that I saw that the diving head. But I saw Harley do. But Harley never flew. Like Dynamite would fly two thirds of the way across the ring, and and Dynamite probably got it from Harley because. I know Dynamite, like Harley was one of Dynamite's idols when he learned um, pro wrestling. Um, but yeah, the snap suplex, I, I don't know. I don't know where that came from, that real fast suplex, which Chris would do, but I don't think Chris ever quite could duplicate how Dynamite did it. Yeah, I agree just watching it today because when well, it was at fast, it was, it was really solid. Like you landed hard on that, but not in a stiff way, but you could see like there was an impact there that really impressed you know, fans and that sort of thing. Um, you know, it, it, it was like everything he did. It's like it's like you could watch like forty five seconds of Dynamite Kid and, and realize that he's like a level above the guys. You know, from that era anyway. But even, um, even now, like if he if he just showed up today, you know, at the same size as he was when he first came to Calgary, you know, maybe a different, a little bit of a different psychology. But as far as moves and intensity and, and crispness. There's not a lot of guys that, that have that level of it even now. I, I think, you know, because, again, because the standard was broken and everything like that, like he wouldn't have the struggle that he had getting, you know, getting getting respected. I don't want to say getting over because he actually got over with the fans pretty quick. Um, but being respected by the business as not being like, you know, as a, as a serious performer, he wouldn't have to break that barrier because people would know it right away. I, but, I, yeah, when you talk about that, I think – that he would be a, a much bigger star now than he was then, even though he was a pretty big star, just because, again, he did those things in a way that, like, I mean, even now, no, nobody can match. I mean, there's people who do wacky or flying, for sure. Um, you know, more acrobatics, for sure, but not combined with that level of intensity. And and, and a certain belief, not not with that level of believability, because, you know, again, you, you watch that... You know, it's like it was very much like like Benoit because I think Benoit would be like today. Even though Benoit did did reach the top in pro wrestling, I think that today I think he would be a bigger star than he was when he was around, just because the the, yeah. the negative of the size would be completely gone, and the positives of the work. If anything, you know, he was more solid than the guys now with the ability to do 
all the you know flying and work with the flying if you know what i mean it's interesting because yeah you know he, he was a few years older than me but we're basically the same generation and we came in just in the middle of guys being big and guys being small so there was still times when you know i remember jim neidhart said it to me i, I told it on the jim neidhart showed it to tj and natty that when bischoff wanted us to wrestle wanted me to go over and neidhart was like but he's a cruiserweight and, you know, I'm 225 pounds, almost six feet tall. You know what I mean? Compare that to the 205 Live guys, it's not even close. But at that yeah. point in time, we were still, quote-unquote, little guys, cruiserweights. Um, so, like you said, yeah, Chris being around now, all of that would have been shed. You know, Dynamite being around now wouldn't have had to even worry about that at all. Well, the other thing, too, if Dynamite was around now, I think that he wouldn't have felt the pressure to get to 225 and take so many steroids and all that. And he probably would have lasted longer because the flip side of the negative, you know, because, you know, we talk about, um, I mean, I, I don't know what you said to Will Ospreay, but I, I presume you have. I know I know that I said something to Will Ospreay that got him real mad, but, I mean, I was very serious about it. it was mm-hmm. don't, don't be Dynamite Kid. You know, I mean, yes, the positive Dynamite Kid. But, you know, Dynamite Kid's career also was over when he was 33 years old. And I, I think that, like, if... If he didn't weigh so much, and and again, and perhaps not be so reckless, you know, he could have had. I'm not, you know, your career is 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 kind of unusual in the sense of, especially with the modern guys. I don't know how many guys are going to be 48 and still working at the top level, but with dynamite, I mean, there's a, there's a there's a medium too. You know, it's like you don't you don't ever want to be the guy who's you know 33 years old and completely physically shot, right? You know, who who who, who was an all time great, you know, 10 years earlier. Well, and Dave, and 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 what my point to Will was: not only was Dynamite's career over at thirty-three, but I believe when he hit thirty-eight, thirty-nine, he was basically confined to a wheelchair, and that's not your career over. That's that's your life. And he was confined to a wheelchair before the age of forty, and and right. you know, and the last couple of years, he's had terrible health problems because you know you're sitting in a wheelchair, and and um, you know, I. I I can just imagine a guy who was so athletic in his prime and everything like that. It's almost it's almost a form of torture, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, but by far, you know. And that's what I was my point was to Will. I said, you know, people are saying that you're going to be the next dynamite kid and don't don't live up to that. You know, stop doing these whatever the hell it was, the Spanish fly off the apron where you land on your neck and cut yourself open and you don't need to do it. You know, it's the same thing I told Kenny with the you know, the, the dragon suplex off the top rope, your matches are five stars with or without that. Get rid of yeah. it, and you'll be lasting to your 48 like I am. You know, because I learned a few of those lessons myself. Thankfully, I didn't learn them as, as stiffly as Dynamite did because, like you said, 33, his main run is done, and a few years later, he's not even walking. So that, to me, is kind of the, the tragicness, and I mentioned this at the beginning of the show, of, of the legend of Dynamite Kid in that he is so influential and so amazing within the ring, but his career was so short, and his his end of his life was so I, I don't know if sad is the word or uh, it's really it's really sad. And here's the other one: it's and it's almost what you just kind of the point you just made. Most of what Dynamite Kid did, um, I think that the two things that that probably ruined him, you know, as far as like the career goes, is. You know, that schedule was a killer back in those days, you know, when you really worked 250 days a year. And you back with WBF. Off and, you, yeah. and if you were injured, you know, you didn't get paid, so you never took time off from injury. So I think, you know, he would get the back injury, and he would keep working and working and working. He would never heal, and he would just take pain pills to get, and alcohol to get through it. So that was one of the things. But the other one that, that is, is that, like, 
you know, you would know this better than me. I'm not a, I'm not a wrestler, but I, I would say that like you could probably take 10% off of what he did and the rest of it would not have really harmed him at all. And he still would have been a hundred percent of what he was because again, he could do any move and you go, this guy's something special. He didn't have to, you know, like he did, he did like diving headbutt or whatever. Yeah. It was, it was a diving headbutt in stampede off the top rope into the crowd, you know, on a floor, not even with mats on the floor, on a floor and, you know, shattered both of his kneecaps doing it. For what? You know what I mean? I don't think it was even on TV. I remember when, when I saw that, he kind of flies right off the camera, and they have to describe it. So that's even even worse. You couldn't even use that as a highlight, you know? Right, right. Yeah, 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 because, because you never saw the landing on the, when, when he did right. it. Yeah. You just yeah. saw the intent of it. NetCredit is here to say yes to a personal loan or line of credit when other lenders say no. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partner. NetCredit. Credit to the people. Let's talk a little bit about, about Calgary and about Dynamite because I know Bruce was over in England and saw this, this, I don't know if he's a teenager at the time or whatever it was, but it was basically Bruce Hart who had to convince his father uh, about this dynamite kid and to bring him into the territory. Is that basically the way it went down? Yeah, well, he convinced both of them. So Bruce went, Bruce and um, Smith were supposed to go to England as a cowboy tag team, and then Smith had some legal problems, so he couldn't go. So Bruce is on his own, and he's there, and he sees dynamite, who's, you know, probably 17, 18 years old at the time. And he's like, you know, the greatest thing he's ever seen, and he just, you know, wants to bring him to Calgary. And, um, you know, he's, he's talking to him, and he meets him, and, you know, tries to talk him into it, and Dynamite's, you know, not sure what he wants to do and all this. And he goes, well, you can, you know, he, he gives him a money figure, and, you know, that sounded impressive. He wasn't making that much money in England um, to go. And then Stu, you know, so, so he, he, he comes back, tells Stu, Dynamite sends pictures to Stu. Stu sees this 160-pound guy, and Stu's still in that old mentality, right? Of course. You know, where the, the whole, and plus, the whole territory then was, was all big guys, you know, the Stomper and Bad News and whoever else, David Schultz. I'm not sure who was there, but it was it was mostly big guys. There were a few small guys, and the small guys weren't getting pushed. So Stu's not impressed, and so he gives a money offer that's low, so Dynamite's, well, screw this, I can make more here. And then Bruce is trying to, like, convince his dad to go up. And, I mean, I think they settled on $400 a week, which was less than Dynamite wanted, but his Dynamite's trainer at this point was like, you know what, it's better to go there and, and do this because look what happened with Billy Robinson and these other guys. You know, there's much more of a, of a ceiling if you break, make it in North America than staying here in England. So go. And if you don't like it, come back, right? So he went. And, you know, very quickly he was the star of the promotion. And, you know, for Bruce, you know, it was, the other thing with Bruce was is Bruce's career, you know, it was tough for Bruce because Bruce was a small guy too. And, and the big guys didn't want to sell for Bruce and, or anything like that, you know, because of the big guy mentality from that era. And with Dynamite there, it allowed Bruce to feud with Dynamite. So now Bruce is working with, like, the guy who's the best bump taker in the whole business. So Bruce is looking like Superman. Brett is just starting out at this point. And, you know, I think it, it, Brett and Dynamite worked with each other, and I think it elevated Brett so quickly because they were having incredible matches. And Brett was taken seriously as a top guy from, you know, like, like his rookie year. He could be a top guy and work with anyone because Brett was a little taller but we're working with Dynamite. He got this reputation for being an incredible worker, and he learned to be, and he was, and he learned to be one. 
but Dynamite like elevated all those guys he worked with. They created the Junior Heavyweight Championship for him and, and a Junior Heavyweight Division for him. Um, and you know, it, it became Calgary became known as like a smaller guy territory, but it was not. And and I remember like in the early '80s when I would first hear you know about wrestling and people would go like, and I, this is before I ever saw tapes or anything like this. And it was always like, oh, the Foothills Athletic Club, which was what Stampede's wrestling parent company was, has the best wrestling in North America. And there would be all these guys I'd never heard of. And then, you know, when I finally saw the tapes, it's like they're, they're smaller and they're quicker and they work a lot faster than everybody else. But, you know, every every kid who went into that thing from, you know, Chris Benoit, Ben Bass Rab, and Beef Wellington, all these guys that came through, Brian Pillman, um, Owen, they were all smaller guys that ended up being really good workers that, you know, he changed that territory to being like this working territory from being just this big brute territory. Yeah, he was the, he was the the pioneer of that. Uh, how long was he actually in Stampede Ford? I'm not sure if it was too long. I, I think because... 70, 78 to the first run would be 78 to 84. It was yeah, 80, late 84. August 84 was when they shut down. And then he went to um, and he worked for New Japan during this period. That's when he first you know made his name in Japan. And then he, he, when they sold it, he was in WWF, but he didn't like it there, and he quit. Then he went to All Japan, which caused a, a problem with Stu, because he kind of did it without Stu knowing. They, him and Davey had that press conference in Japan, and Vince wanted him back, and Vince actually went to Japan to get him back. And well, hold on a second. Slow down a bit. So tell us about this, because I know there's a big controversy at the time where they jumped from New Japan to All Japan, kind of in the dead of night sort of thing. Yeah, they, they showed up one day at a press conference. Bob had a press conference. I remember it was like, I think it was November. I think that Davey may have just gotten married to Diana at this time. But it was it was late 84. Because I remember I was I was going to Japan for the tag team tournament, and Dynamite and Davey were supposed to go for New Japan. And then I got there, and it was like, they're with All Japan. They had a press conference, and they switched sides, and they were in the All Japan tournament. And they weren't even allowed... They weren't even allowed to be on All Japan television because they still had a contract with New Japan, but Baba wanted them so bad. This is when Baba and Inoki were having, like, the war was at a very high point, and they were, Dynamite and Davey were really, um, um, they were key guys in that, in that junior heavyweight division. Um, Dynamite especially was, and, and um, so it was a giant coup, but, like, Stu didn't know. I guess Mr. Hito was the guy who was fed up with New Japan, uh, for whatever reason. So one of the things he did, and Baba was looking at rating, you know, and they're both rating back and forth, but Baba was looking at a big move, and he got Choshu and those guys, but he also got Dynamite and Davey. And then um, um, Dynamite was also mad because he'd done that, all that great stuff with Tiger Mask, and he always resented that Abdul the Butcher and Hulk Hogan and Andre and Greg Valentine and these other guys would come in and make more money than him in New Japan, and he thought, I'm working harder and blah, blah, blah. So he felt, and Baba offered a lot more money. Baba offered close to what, you know, not Stan Hansen money, but the next level down. So treated a much, you know, a much better level. So it was really easy for him to jump, but Stu was kind of like booking him in. And so it was kind of like New Japan lost faith in Stu because they thought, did Stu double cross us and send him there? And Stu actually didn't even know until the press conference. They kept it from Stu. So then New Japan was almost like, Stu can't even control his own guys. And the Calgary-New Japan relationship, while it didn't fall apart, it was not nearly as strong after Dynamite and Davey moved over. It's hard to believe, too, like you said, that, that both of them came in as the junior heavyweights, because both of them at the time, 
I mean, they were just jacked to the gills, man. When you look they at they were so shows, jacked. Man, I know. Just, both of them, you know. Yeah. And that was yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Dynamite. You you know, you look at some of those pictures of him. I mean, he looked like a bodybuilder. He had hard. You know, I like a Benoit, but yeah, I mean, I remember like at certain points his physique looked almost unreal. You know, she was so cut and and thick and everything like that, and yet, you know, and again, and he moved with such with, with such speed. But you know, he was carrying too much weight for his frame, and and I don't think that that probably did his knees any good either. And um, he also hurt his back taking a suplex, you know, out of the ring, you know, with suplex over the top rope to the floor and hit his back on the apron. And I guess that's when his back problem started. But, you know, he kept working right through it and, and, you know, just like ignored it, essentially. And he probably had, I don't know if it was a broken back or whatever, but he was in a lot of pain. And then in 87, actually it would be late 86, December 13th, 1986 in Hamilton, Ontario, the British Bulldogs were wrestling Morocco and Bob Orton. And I don't even know the move, but he just was, he was essentially paralyzed taking a bump. And he came back actually just a couple months later, but, you know, he was never the same. Even though he could still work at a pretty good level, he just, you know, he never recovered. And, and I later found out that, you know, he was told point blank, you should never wrestle again. You know, like he was told by the doctor, you should never wrestle again. And, you know, he was back doing it. And, and, but that was the move. But most people think that it was kind of like a combination of, first injury and then just working right through it and masking the pain for all those years and and at some point something was going to get him at that point well and the thing i was going to ask you about too is is you mentioned the the connection with new japan and and wwe when you talked about the famous madison square garden match that they had with uh with sayama i always wondered like how was that booked because neither one of them were working for vince at the time correct so what, what happened new, new japan and wwf had a had a pretty good um you know, I mean, New Japan paid Vince's father, and then Vince, you know, whatever it was, a couple hundred thousand a year, and in return, they would book their talent there. I mean, Hogan went there, and Snuka went there, and Backlund went there, all the top guys. And that relationship went to, like, 85. As part of the relationship, New Japan, maybe once every year or two, um, they would do TV tapings. New Japan would, would do TV tapings every couple of months, on location, you know, like with the other, so sometimes they would go to, for the UWA, because I remember seeing a lot of the UWA stuff, you know, maybe twice a year, once a year, um, you know, where you would get like Fishman and Kinect and these guys, and they would wrestle Inoki, and um, it would be on New Japan TV, and you would see El, El Toreo uh, on television, and then one of the ones that they would do, probably like once a year or so, would be a garden show where Inoki and Fujinami would be on the show, and their matches would be taped, and maybe the backhand match would be taped. For, for the TV Asahi. So one of those shows was, uh, they sent Tiger Mask and Dynamite Kid, you know, so it was essentially just for New Japan television. And um, the Garden fans who had no idea who these two guys were, it wasn't like they were built up on TV as being anything special. I don't even think the match was probably even advertised in the New York market. And they just kind of show up, these two guys that are way, way smaller than everybody else. And, you know, they were just a different level from, from you know, everyone. They were just... Nobody had seen that kind of speed and technique in the ring, you know, in, in WWF ever. And, you know, fans were just like, oh, my God. It's like the fans who were there, like, were saying it's like the best match they'd ever seen. You know, I mean, it's different. I don't know if it's necessarily the best, but it was completely unique for anything that had ever been in that territory. There's a great point where I, I think I think Simon does a 619 or something like that. And so they do something really explosive where people just start popping huge. And there's like a ripple in the crowd of people standing up. 
and there's a, an African-American dude who stands up and you can see him mouthing, these boys are good. And just, <laughs> I think, like you said, they just impressed the entire crowd who had no idea who they were. And, yeah. you know, after having such a match like that, was there ever any discussions for with Vince to, to want to bring them in? Well, Sayama was in a lot at that point until he quit. You know, he, mm-hmm. he came in and he was pretty over in New York. Because I remember I went to spring break in um, Fort Lauderdale that spring and and it, you know it's funny in those days it was really wrestling was really cool in those days because so so different because i remember i was in a hotel room with a couple of my friends and yeah. there's just all these people from all over and we're talking wrestling people just start following our conversation and it's like someone from cleveland and they're talking about johnny powers and then there are a couple of people who are from from you know calgary and edmonton so to them you know dynamite kid was like god right but the New York people, it was it was Jimmy Snuka and Tiger Mask. And I was like, really? You know, because he, he had only done some TV and he was never pushed. But you could tell, like, with the kids, you know, because these would be people 18 to 22, mostly. You know, so they're not so much into the older wrestlers. Um, they're going to be into the ones that they see. And, and, yeah, everybody's just raving about Tiger Mask. And it's like, wow, this stuff can get over in the United States. Because it was almost like, well, yeah, they're over in Japan, but, but you know, the United States is different. It's like no, the next generation, this this stuff's going to get over. You know, that's what really hit me. It's like, God, next generation when these guys become the consumers, this tiger mask stuff is it, really it, work. It, yeah. it, it relates. These guys relate to it without any interviews and without any you know push as, as a star. They just were all talking tiger mask, the most amazing guy. Yeah. How did uh, and I know the story, but just for people that don't, how did Dynamite end up in the WWE or WWF uh, eventually? The first thing, so so Stu Hart sold the territory to Vince McMahon in late 84, August of 84. And one of the deals was, I guess, George Scott came to uh, Calgary. And, he, you know, the first thing, he okay, Brett, Dynamite, and Davey, these guys are the stars of the territory. We should want them. And then Stu, when he sold, pretty much said, okay, part of the deal is, is that I want Brett, Dynamite, Davey, and Jim Neidhart, who was his son-in-law, to all have jobs. So that was part of the agreement, that they would all come in. So Dynamite and Davey came in, and they worked a couple of matches. They looked really good. They got over, but there was no real push for him. And um, Dynamite just got tired of it. And, you know, he was working a lot with with All Japan by this point anyway. So he just quit. He was going to work All Japan. And, and also Bruce was trying to start up a, a territory in Stampede, which, would, of course, was a, completely against the non-compete <laughs> that, that they had signed. But he was going to, you know, like kind of like, start up and dynamite and Davey were going to be the big stars. So that was going on at the same time. So they quit. And then it was like, I'm going to guess like February 85 when, um, Vince, you know, went and I think he may have gone to Japan, but Vince went to them, you know, they didn't go to Vince and basically, you know, made them an offer to come back. And, and as part of the offer, um, they had it in the contract, you know, for the, they could continue to work like 16 weeks a year in all Japan hmm. because I guess they wanted to hedge their bets or whatever. But Vince promised them the tag team titles. He goes, we're going to really go with you. That's where the British Bulldogs name came because they were not the British Bulldogs until Vince gave them the name in, in February 84. And then they brought them in and then they got the push. And then they were the best tag team in WWF at the time. But Vince was, you know, they were gone so much. So Vince basically said like, look, you know, we're going to put the tag team titles on you at WrestleMania, which would be 86. You, you've got to give up all Japan, which they reluctantly did, you know, so because they knew that they would make a lot more money in, in WWF. So that was the deal. So then they were in WWF for a couple of years until the Rougeau thing, you know, Jacques Rougeau punched yeah, in. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that in a sec, but I'll tell, you, yeah. I'll tell you a couple of things. First of all, 
being a huge WWE fan, WWF fan, uh, when they first came on the scene, like I loved the British Bulldogs. I never saw them in Calgary because we didn't have Stampede at the time. So they were instantly like the British Bulldogs and the Hart Foundation were the best good guy and bad guy team. And I remember my friend and I, and it's funny because there's a Benoit story about this too. My friend and I used to hang around uh, the arena and the hotel uh, wearing super tight t-shirts because we were working out, you know, typical 16 year olds. You got a little bit of a bicep. You think you're hot shit. And just like it, dreaming, like the British Bulldogs are going to see us and take us under their wing and we're oh, going to wow. be the next British Bulldogs that they're going to train us. You know what I mean? Like that was, <laughs> if only we could be the next British Bulldog. And Benoit told me he used to do the same thing, but he would wear, he would do the opposite. He would wear a bunch of different layers of clothing to look bigger. Like he'd wear like a sweater, then a hoodie, then a duffel jacket. So he looked bulkier, you know, but both <laughs> of us trying to impress the dynamite kid and, and David boy Smith. Cause they were so di- different and cool at the time. You know, yeah. I, I thought, cause you know, I'm, I'm a couple years older than you, but I thought the same thing when I would um, see them on TV, I would always think that like these guys were, you know, cause again, when you're like a teenager and I was actually early twenties at this point, but you see these guys with this incredible physique. and you don't really think about steroids that much, even though I, I was certainly aware by then given where, where I grew up, but um, I wasn't. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 but, but still, it's like, you know, even, you know, I, I was in a world with, with like, you know, San Jose was like the center of like Olympic athletes. All sure. the, you know, not all of them, but 40% of the Olympic athletes when I was growing up trained in San Jose and most of them, at the, and I would say most, most at the, at the gym that was like, but, that I trained at. So I would be in there with all these, you know, Olympic medalists and, and the strongest men in the world and, people like this, you know, some of the fastest guys too, like, you know, Jenner was from here and everything too, but there was nobody in our gym that looked like the dynamite kid. Right. You know what I mean, no, I mean like not one person. I mean, maybe, maybe there would be a bodybuilder. Some of the bodybuilders that were Mr. Olympia levels on the last two weeks before their contest would be more impressive without a doubt. You know, there were a few of those, right? right? But most of the year, those guys were just big bulky guys. They were, you know, short and big, but they weren't like ripped like Dynamite Kid 52 weeks a year. So to me, you know, Dynamite Kid was kind of like, wow. Plus, you know, not that the physique was that big of a deal, but like what he could do in the ring was, you know, as far as the guys in, in WWF, it's like, you know, I was like Dynamite and, and Ricky Steamboat and Randy Savage were kind of like, and there were a few others, mm-hmm. you know, that were at that level, but, but they were the cream of the crop. You know, we still call that the, you know, the, the super flex off the top into a small package. That's still right. the, uh, the uh, Dynamite Savage finish, right? Right, yeah, because I'd never seen anything like that. I remember, you remember, I mean, I remember watching that match, and again, at that point, a, a superplex off the top rope was unheard of. Massive, yeah. So he's doing this move, and then Savage cradle him. It's like, oh my god, you know, because it got Dynamite over because he did the move, but it got Savage over because, you know, he actually beat him after the move. Yeah, yeah, and and plus with Dynamite being quote unquote smaller, putting him in the same league, you know, and and I remember that because I remember going to the shows. And you'd see the promos, and they had the, the accents. Were like, you know, they were working a Valentine and Beefcake. And like, we've been running on the beach. We've been pumping weights. We're going to suplex you all over the ring, Valentine Beefcake. And then they get to the show, and they don't even do a suplex, probably because they've wrestled 300 days in a row. But we didn't know that. I remember just going, like, they didn't even do anything. Well, at least they still won. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's how yeah. you thought, right? And then afterwards, going to the, to the hotel lobby, uh, and sneaking into the hotel bar, uh, bar, and I remember seeing Dynamite sitting in the corner. He's wearing uh, a rolled-up like dress shirt with buttons open, this giant chest, 
And man, he saw me coming from a mile away. And when I got close, he just looked at me and said, don't even think about it. <laughs> I turned around and walked away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. NetCredit is here to say yes, because you're more than a credit score. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partners. NetCredit. Credit to the people. There's a couple things I want to ask you. Somebody posted a picture today and said it's hard to believe out of these four guys that only one of them's still alive, and that one is Ozzy. And, of course, I'm talking about Dynamite, Davey, Lou Albano, and Ozzy at WrestleMania three. Do you know anything about why and how Ozzy Osbourne ended up in the corner of the British Bulldogs? I, I don't know the whole story. I'm just assuming that, that, you know, Vince saw him as a big celebrity and wanted a big celebrity at WrestleMania, and that's just kind of like how he fit in. And maybe maybe a way to get Dynamite and Davey over, you know, that they'd be in, in pictures with Ozzy mm-hmm. and kind of get them, because they were, you know, they were just winning the tag titles, to kind of get them over. Maybe it was a... British connection. I don't, but but the idea of using the celebrity to get them to a more of a mainstream level, kind of like what happened with Roddy Piper and um, Hulk Hogan with uh, Mr. T and Cindy Lauper. You know, like you get the the rub, kind of like what they, what they tried to do with Donald Trump and Bobby Lashley yeah. that never really succeeded. So, so but but it, but you know the idea when they did it, what what it was supposed to be, just to shotgun Bobby Lashley into being like you know the next John Cena. Right, right, right. yeah. So with Dynamite though, um, and and, and Davey was obviously the. Vince put him with with Captain Lou for talking purposes. Yeah, yeah, and credibility purposes too. Well, yeah. And it's a way to keep Lou. Lou always managed the tag team champions. It's a way to keep Lou relevant because he was, you know, part of the fabric and everything like that. I don't think it was a good fit at that point. Babyface manager was never really a good fit anyway. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm sure that's what it was. Was just to give them somebody to talk for them because you know that they would, they could do promos, but they were. Um, you know, it, it, it wasn't really flamboyant promos like like yeah. uh, the top guys would do. Tell us the story. Um, it's a, it's a re- incredible story, just how things used to be, even though it was only thirty some odd years ago. Of when they lost the championships and kind of the circumstances oh, surrounding that. Okay, so December thirteenth, eighty six, is the match in Hamilton where Dynamite blows out his back. So he's done, and I mean he's supposed to be done for like six months. Okay. Well, they, they, in those days, you know how the belts were. You know, it's hard. It's, it's some, you know, it's so hard when I talk to people today about championships and, you know, like the value, because, you know, today they're like passed around and, and you, know, you know what I mean? It's like, so it's, just, it's not the same world. So, like, I'll explain this and they'll go, well, well, why didn't they just vacate it and have a match on TV? And it's like, because in those days, like, you, you had to beat the former champion. Right. It was just like unheard of to have, a, have, have the lineal, that line not be, um, you know, whatever, not be adhered to, right? Yeah. So, so Dynamite's basically bedridden, and they need to get the belts off of him. So he's at home in Calgary, can't get out of bed. And they have a TV taping, and they just go, you know, just fly in and drop the belts. I can't fly in. I can't even get out of bed. Somehow they talk, we need to get the belts off. And so in, in doing this, there actually were negotiations because it's like they wanted the belts on Sheik and Volkov, Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov. And Dynamite, I guess, you know, with the friendship or the, you know, whatever it is, the kinship of Stampede Wrestling, he, he, he said, okay, I'll come in, but we're losing it to the Hart Foundation. So, so that's one of the reasons, like, Brett owes him a lot, you know, right. is, is, that, is that the Hart Foundation were the best heel team already, but they were not pushed as the best heel team. 
But once you get the belts, the belts were so important yeah, they meant that it elevated yeah. you greatly more than it would be now. Now it's like, oh, you know, tag team titles. So what does it mean? It's like then it really meant a lot for Brett and Jim's career. So they went out there. Dynamite still couldn't walk. So Davey carries him on his shoulders to the ring and basically puts him on the apron. And as I think Jimmy Hart hits him with a megaphone to take him out right away. So he's not even in the match. And, and it's like a real quick match. Davey's working a handicap match. And Davey gets pinned. And, um, yeah, and Dynamite got paid like $25 for it. What? Which he was, yeah, which he was like furious about like for the rest of his life. You know, that he, he you know. 25 was, you know, bucks. Yeah, I think 25 or 50. I'll look it up, but I'm pretty sure it was 25. Yeah, it was because back then you didn't get paid much for TV. So well, it also goes back then to to my theory that Vince always wins. And it's like, okay, well, you don't want to put him on Sheik and Volkov? Fine, you could put him on the Hart Foundation and I'll pay you 25 bucks. You know what I mean? No one yeah. tells me what to do. Yeah, 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 yeah. But Vince, you know, it's funny because I didn't know this, but Vince really did have like a soft spot in his heart for both of them. I always wanted him back. And, like, you know, Dynamite would just, you know, Davey, I think Davey always wanted, I don't Davey Boy never really wanted to leave. Every time I think Davey left, he always had misgivings about it. Whereas Dynamite never wanted to be there in the first place. But Dynamite controlled Davey until Davey finally walked out on Dynamite. And, and, and he would always hold it on Davey. You know, it's like, because Dynamite was Davey's cousin, and he brought him to Calgary. Right. And, and, he, and then he brought him to Japan, and he made him a tag team. And Davey was a Dynamite clone in, in, in so many ways. So it was like everything Davey had, he owed to the fact that, you know, you know Dynamite put him over for the, his first championship in Stampede, had his first great matches in Stampede when Dynamite was a heel and Davey was a babyface. So it, it's like he always like held that over Davey, and Davey always was, a, like a, you know, whatever Dynamite did was fine. And then one day, Davey wanted to go back to WWF, and Dynamite would never go back at this point, and um, that's when they had their, their terrible split. It's interesting, just as an aside, just how that family, like Davy and Dynamite are cousins, and then Brett's wife and Dynamite's wife are sisters, and, you know, Bassarab, like everyone involved was Bassarab related was to married that to family. One of the daughters, and Davy was married to one of the daughters, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's interesting, too, because I can see, you know, I remember watching when, like, when the Piledriver album came out, and they did a video for, uh, the song is called... If you only knew, and it's kind of like a "We Are the World" thing, where they've got all the wrestlers in the back singing with the headphones on and stuff, and the Bulldogs get their own line, which was "I think you'll see," like you know they're kind of rap singing, and you can see like Dynamite super uncomfortable, thinking like, "What the fuck am I doing here? I'm not a singer. I'm not. Yeah. A, I'm not. A, I'm not a dancer. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a wrestler." And I think. It would seem to me that maybe some of that pomp and circumstance of probably having Matilda, because, you know, Vince wanted all of them with animals back right, in the day. And the dog, and he, you know, they, I'm sure they hated, you know, he probably hated having the dog, because he was like that nuts and bolts yeah. wrestler. You know, his his mentality, even though he didn't like New Japan because of, um, you know, money-wise and ended up resenting, and then when Tiger Mask left and all, but I think that his mentality of a wrestler was very similar to New Japan. You know what I mean? It's like, that's like, to him... Because when he wrote his book, I mean, it was was, a, it was such a weird schizophrenic book because his book was like the first book that ever came out where he detailed, like, you know, you read the book and you don't think that, oh, this is a great guy or a funny guy or anything, you know. You just think that this is a, a you know, he's out there talking about his drug use in, in detail. But the other thing is he talked, and this is in 91, he talked about all of his matches in WWE being worked or whatever. And this was at a time when wrestlers still didn't do that. Right. So, so it was kind of controversial, but 
he talked about all of his matches in, in, in Japan as being real. And I remember like someone talking to him and goes, why? And he goes, well, they protect their business. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to crap on it. Whereas these other guys, they don't. So I'll crap on it. Like that mm. was, he, he's definitely had more of a Jap, Japanese wrestling is more real. You know, that mentality, you know, Japanese wrestling is real, but it's, it's all, it's just different forms of entertainment. You know, I, I mean, and, and they're both good in their own way. It's, you know, people will sometimes go like, Oh, you know, like Japan. And say, I like them both when they're good, and I don't like them both when they're bad. And it is what it is. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, it's interesting. So as you were saying that, another name, kind of a modern Dynamite-esque figure would be uh, Neville, Pac, and how... Yeah, he's another one. Size, work rate, and also attitude. Like, I don't want to work in WWE. I don't even want to work at All In. I'm just going to go back to Dragon Gate because I like Japan, and that's where I want to be, and I don't care if it's New Japan I just want to go where I'm comfortable and happy. And I think that might have been Dynamite's attitude for sure. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if he, you know, I don't know him personally or what kind of a person he is, but, you know, you can see he really is like another one. Yeah. You know, with the short guy with the physique. I think there's really probably a lot of similarities. And, you know, he's an unreal, mm-hmm. he's an unreal talent too. Very hard hitting. Like his, in, obviously, he's very talented, you know, acrobatically, but in between, he works very similar to Dynamite and Benoit. Uh, in that it's very solid, borderline stiff, but never dangerous. You know, and that, that's yeah, yeah. what those guys would do. Uh, you mentioned the Rougeau attack. I think that's something very pivotal, pivotal in, in Dynamite's life and career. Tell us that that situation. So that's just a real complicated one. So I guess the shortest version is, is something happened, and I forgot what it was, but it led to an altercation between Dynamite and Jacques Rougeau, and Dynamite kind of bullied Jacques. And I, I forgot what led to it, but Dynamite, you know, kind of like roughed him up. And Jacques kind of lost face. And Jacques, you know, so Jacques' brother Raymond was, was kind of a tough guy. His father was a real tough guy. You know, Jacques Sr. was like a legendary street fighter in Montreal. So Jacques went to his father, and, and, and more his father than his brother, he went to his father, and he was kind of down. And his father goes, you've got to go in there, and, and, you know, you've got to get back at him, or you're going to be like, a, you know, no one's going to respect you, and... And Jacques knew he's not a fighter, you know, or anything like that. So his dad taught him, you know, the, you know, a trick of, um, you know, bring a roll of quarters and punch him with it. You know, once you hit him with it, he ain't getting up. So they essentially, one at one of the shows, nobody's around, and and there's always that thing of like, how come nobody was around? Why, you know, who called Davy away because Davy wasn't there? Wow. And Jacques got him in this hall where nobody's there, and he just waffles him with this punch. The the, the coins go everywhere. And Dynamite's face is busted up. You know, he's knocked out. Um, teeth knocked out, blood everywhere. And um, Dynamite, I mean, people tell me that, like, Dynamite was never the same because Dynamite was one of those guys that so he got in a lot of fights, but he never really got beat up. Yeah. Sometimes when he, was, when he was a kid, he got roughed up by those shooters at Wigan. You know, I mean, for sure, that happened. And there were stories of him at 15 and 16 and 17 where the veterans, you know, didn't like his attitude and kind of would rub his face in the mat and things like that. So he, he had that, but... You know, once he came and was all steroided up and big and everything like that, you know, n- nothing like that ever happened to him. And it was like, he, he essentially, he wanted Vince to um, punish Jacques. And I guess Vince wouldn't, think, feeling it was retribution. And also, Vince had overlooked everything Dynamite did for years. And that was one of the things I never really understood. And it was, you know, it was like, Vince really liked Dynamite. So he overlooked, and a lot of guys were ribbing back then too, like Kurt Hennig and others too. But, um, you know, he overlooked all that stuff, so it was kind of like Vince was like, I can't really go and punish Jacques, because look at what you've been doing to the undercard guys for all these years. So he wouldn't punish Jacques, 
and Dynamite essentially gave his notice. He didn't quit right away, but at, you know he, he stayed until the Survivor Series pay per view that year, and then he quit. and And he would never like he would never go back. And I think Davey kind of like the thing is is so they went back to Calgary as as bookers, which was a disaster for that territory. But when they went back, I mean like. Davey's going from, you know, making WWF money and working, you know, like, like living the WWF lifestyle, going back to his, mm-hmm. you know, the old days of, you know, he was on a $1,000 a week guarantee, which is a lot less than he was making in WWF, and riding in the, you know, in the van, in the yeah. snow, and, you know, the Calgary lifestyle. And I think Davey, like, almost real quick was like, what did I do? And I think that was probably the beginning of the the breakup between those two is like, I followed Dynamite, but what what the hell did I... Because Davey didn't want to quit, but he had loyalty to Dynamite, and Dynamite just wanted out of there. And so um, that was the end of him with WWF, and Vince gave Dynamite a chance. Um, in 1990, Vince came to um, Japan, and it wasn't just to, to meet with them. He was, it was to set up the, a show that he did with Baba, and, and at the show, there's Dynamite and Davey, and he goes up to Dynamite, and he just goes, you know, like... Um, you know, you and Davey, anytime, you know, you want to come back, you're always welcome. Wow. And Dynamite, like, basically told him to F off and never talk to him again. And Davey was really, you know, like, oh, You know, it's funny so, because I've so, heard that. So, so, so and, he, and he did it in front of the guy. So it's like he's dressing Vince down in front of, like, the yeah. whole dressing room. You know, and it's Vince McMahon, yeah. you know, the most powerful guy in wrestling. And it's just like, you know, that was, but that was Dynamite. He just... You know, I mean, Vince, I, I really sense Vince was never bad to him, but he just hated the idea of New York wrestling from probably the first day he walked in the dressing room and all those big guys laughed at him at being a wrestler and then that they were making more money than him in New Japan. It, you know, it was always his mentality. Even though he was working there, making big money on top and, and doing great and all, it was, it was always like it, it wasn't what he wanted to be and he, was, he didn't like himself for being it or something. I don't know. But, yeah, so, I mean, what's, what's the point? You know, what's the point of saying that to Vince? You know, even if you don't want to go back, just be, go. Thanks for the offer, right? Yeah, you get those guys sometimes that that, that feel that, that they were wronged in some way. And I've seen it happen with NHL goons, like fighters. There was a guy in Winnipeg called Jim Kite who was the toughest guy in town until one day he got knocked out, and then he was never the same, you know. And I think that definitely was the story with Dynamite, you know. And you mentioned... Davy and Dynamite going to Stampede. I was working. That's actually the first year I was in the wrestling business, not as a wrestler, but I was setting up the rings in the uh, in the northern reservations for Bob Holiday, and everyone was talking about how Davy and Dynamite had taken over Calgary, and it was dying because they, on top it was Davy Boy versus Dynamite Kid, and I thought I'd love to see that match, but apparently nobody else did, and that basically killed the territory. Was this summer of main events with these two guys against each other? Well, it was a big problem in a lot of ways because. They shot the angle, and Ed Whalen, who was the announcer, was also the TV producer, and he loved the British Bulldogs so much they wouldn't air the angle on television. That's how much he hated it, you know, the idea that they would break up. So, so you don't see the angle. And then also, as soon as they shot the angle, their timing of the angle was, was, didn't make any sense because then they went to Japan for like a month. So by the time they come back, you know, it's number one, no one's seen it unless you were in the house in Calgary. And then they go out there, and um, I think the first week it might have done okay, but yeah, it the whole territory was dying anyway. I mean, it was just, yeah. you know, Vince would come in once a month with those big shows and, you know, with all the talent and it's like, you know, the stampede stuff just, you know, once Owen left stampede, you know, it was never the same. And even though Owen came right, back by the time, Owen, yeah. yeah, by the time Owen came, cause Owen was like the real star. By the time Owen came back, it had just fallen so much that, you know, there was nothing that could have saved it at that. And at the end, I think. 
NetCredit is here to say yes to a personal loan or line of credit when other lenders say no. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. If approved, applications are typically funded the next business day or sooner. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Applications subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partner. NetCredit. Credit to the people. As we wind down here, I mean, the last few years of Dynamite's career, um, you know, I watched just watched the street fight with Owen Hart and, and Dynamite, which is really good. And Dynamite's smaller, but he's still in shape. But I remember... I was working in Japan in FMW in maybe 91 or 92 and seeing him return to all Japan. I remember like looking at his tights were baggy, like the same tights that he had worn probably three years prior were like hanging on him. You could just tell how, how I guess physically unhealthy he was because he was just turning into, you know, uh, a malnourished version of, of dynamite kid, but still trying to wrestle. Yeah, well, you know, again, he he did a retirement thing. I think it was like in '92, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was shocked, but you could see the deterioration. But even so, like at the end, you'll see some matches. Like if you watch the Bruce Bulldogs and the Malenko brothers right. from Japan, and this is this is late in Dynamite's career, and it's it's really a great match. Yeah, I mean, I it, it'll, yeah, and and I mean, he would still, and and, and I saw them with Crawford and Furnace, and it's like they still were like like I guess because he was so he was smart enough. And he knew what he could do, and and Dave, you know, and Davy wasn't hurt so bad. I think one of the things was um, this is another one. So when Davy Boy leaves and goes back to WWF, um, you know, he ended up working with Johnny Smith, who was right. not related to Davy Boy Smith, although they were. He was a worked relative of, of Davy, and and Dynamite really liked Johnny Smith, but and Johnny Smith was a good wrestler, but from a credibility standpoint, like the British Bulldogs in all Japan could be top guys, and and a top team, whereas Dynamite and Johnny Smith. You know, you have Dynamite, who's not nearly what he once was, and Johnny Smith, who was a guy, you know, and, and good, but but not someone that they could push in exactly. all Japan to a certain level. So, so you know, it's like they would lose a lot more, and I think that that was real tough on Dynamite, too, going from, you know, working his way up to, to, to being always a superstar to being like an undercard guy. And then, you know, but when he announced his retirement, I remember I was just really shocked at retirement. Wow. I mean, I know he's... I know he's hurting, and I know about the injuries, but, you know, it's pro wrestling. You just don't think of guys retiring at 33. And and he actually came back once for a match in 96, and that was the one where it was really sad. I don't know if you ever saw that with Sayama and everything, too. Yeah, I remember seeing just pictures of it, you know. Yeah. Well, why, why was he confined to a wheelchair? Did you ever know? Because I remember Brett told me that there was some kind of operation that Dynamite could get uh, and he was, he, Brett even offered to pay for it, and, and Diamond was like, absolutely not, you know, I'll, I'll never take your money, don't waste your time, sort of thing. I never heard that. Um, I, I should probably ask Brett. Ask um, Brett. I'm sure that's true. I'm pretty sure he told me that story, unless I read it somewhere, but I think Brett told me that. Yeah, I, I mean, I never, I, I just never heard that, but I know, um, I just figured, you know, his, it was always the back, and he had all kinds of neurological damage from that, and, um, yeah, but again, that's another one. It's like when you, when, when he's he's gone, and then he, he became like this 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 recluse who wouldn't see anyone for right. decades. You know, like people would want would go to England and and you know want to see him. I think I know he would he would he would see Benoit, and later he would see Brett. And I know Harry Smith would he would see Harry Smith, but most people he wouldn't. You know, and his daughter. But for the most part, like if guys wanted to see him, it was like you know no, he's not interested in seeing anyone from wrestling, and he would 
never like none of the British wrestlers who won, you know, because again, you had this generation of British wrestlers where he was this guy who was a legend to them, and he didn't even want to see or be around wrestling or anything. He came to a WWE show once in England. Um, Benoit brought him back, and I remember he was in a wheelchair. It's the only time I ever met him besides the time in the hotel lobby in Winnipeg, and he was super friendly, and he was kind of holding court, telling stories, and everyone was just kind of sitting around, you know, talking to him and listening to what he had to say. Um, so it was actually pretty cool because he was in really good spirits that time, and I know Chris said that a lot of times he wasn't, but and then, you know, it's, it's just hard for me to believe that a guy who never had, you know, a paralyzing accident would have to be in a wheelchair, especially as modern medicine got better and better, that somebody couldn't have done some kind of operation or something to at least get him up and walking around. You're probably right. And um, I never really thought of that, but you're, 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 you're probably you know I mean? right. Yeah. yeah. And um, I don't know what it was, but um, yeah, you know, I mean, who, who knows the mentality and the torture that he was living. Cause again, like, you know, like think about this, you're 39 years old, you're in a wheelchair. These guys who are your contemporaries are still in wrestling and, and, and stars that, and it's gotta be, you know, you know, just, I mean, the whole thing just had to be, uh, you know, just a, a killer on his psyche. I, um, a few years ago, he had a GoFundMe page for medical expenses. And, uh, I won't say who, who was in charge of it, but you know, out of respect to Dynamite Kid and his legacy, I donated some money to it, you know, uh, hopefully hoping that it would help him in some way, shape or form, even though he didn't know me from, you know, flying the wall. But uh, a couple months later, I got an email from Marty Jones, who uh, obviously famous old school English wrestler who said that um, the GoFundMe was all a scam by the yep. person who was very close to Dynamite. Actually, it was his wife. From what I, from what she he walked, told me. and then she walked out on him. Yeah, she yeah she took the money and walked out on him. And he emailed me and said, you know, if you can show your receipt and send it to me, I want to show it to the cops so we can, you know, shut it down. And just that's a shitty thing, you know what I mean, to to happen Horrible. at that stage of your life, especially at that stage where you know we all know, you know, it's like it's like we all knew that that you know he was in rough shape. You know, it wasn't like somebody working that. So you think that it's like. You know, and it's it's the wife and everything like that. You know, you you would think that it's like a very legitimate thing, and then that ends up being a scam. You know, and, and on him is in, in many ways on him too. Um, did you ever find out, or have you found out how he died or why he died? No, no, no. But I know that he'd been in really, really rough shape, and and um, there you know it, there were people who knew that knew it was coming. It wasn't like out of the blue, but you know he was like. You know, he was having harder and harder time breathing. He was on a ventilator and things like that. So he was in, like, rough shape for, for months. You know, like, it wasn't like he just was, you know, fine one day and dropped dead. I mean, it was it was something that people knew was, was coming, unfortunately. But, you know, they kept that pretty secret, I guess. Like I said, like, if, if you would ask me, you know, who's your top ten influences uh, as a fan and, and top ten influences as to wanting to get into wrestling, Dynamite would be in there. And for so many others, names that we've mentioned and probably dozens and hundreds of others that we haven't mentioned, but it's just, it's just so crazy to me that no one knew anything about him and that by design, it seems that's the way he wanted it. And just a real sad ending to you know, one of the greatest performers and as influentially too. It just, I wish 
you know, you wish you could have done more, but if the guy didn't want more or was, was legitimately a miserable person, maybe, you know, karma came back to get him or whatever you want to say. But it still blows my mind that in this day and age, you know, 2018, when you walk out of your house and someone takes a picture, that there wasn't more information about him uh, and about his condition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's because he, you know, he kept himself away from it. Well, I mean, it's another thing. It's like, I mean, me starting the newsletter that I started, I think that one of the greatest influences to me was watching Tiger Mask and Dynamite Kid because it was like, oh, my God, like, all these people, you guys live in the United States, and it's like, you know, these guys are having these matches that, you know, were legitimately 15 years ahead of their time. I didn't know it was going to be like this in 15 years, but I know at that time it was just like, i never seen anything like this in my life, you know? And it's just right. like, it was one of the like things of like, you know, I should do something and write about these guys that are, you know, the guys that are good that people know, but there's all these guys that are good that Americans at the time wouldn't know, you know, because, you know, you wouldn't have had a access to them right and and but yeah those ma- you know tiger mask dynamite kid matches to me were just like for, i think anyone who saw them at that time in 81 82 83 when they were happening like you saw them you were completely blown away in in, in, in because it was just it was a different form of wrestling and it was yeah it was it was it was it was the future 15 years earlier and i remember another thing you know a lot of people don't when, when you talk about like uh ben one these guys being clones but one of the guys who was a super clone of him at first was Liger, because when, when I first saw Liger as a rookie in New Japan in 84, you know, working opening matches, I mean, he had, you know, the same Dynamite Kid physique, the long trunks, the, the long hair like the young Dynamite Kid. And, I mean, his nickname among the boys was Japanese Dynamite Kid before he became Liger and was more of a copy of Sayama in a lot of ways. But he was really... To me, he, you know, his his ring style isn't isn't exactly Dynamite Kid, but it's very clear as a kid growing up as an amateur wrestler and everything like that that he was like you and he was like Chris Benoit and everybody else. And it's like he, he saw a guy who was smaller and goes, he made it big, yeah. I can make it, and and he wanted to be Dynamite Kid. And that's why, you know, if you think about it, where did Kichi Yamada go when he went on excursion? He went to Calgary. He went to England. He didn't yeah. go, you know, he didn't go to New York or Texas. You know, he even has that walk, you know, kind of a little bit of a bounce on your step with the arms out like uh, like your lats are spread. I mean, that's that's Liger, too. You're right now that you mention it. It's just totally it's it's the but, same walk that a lot of us have when you're in the ring at times. But look at the flip side. Liger's 54 years old. Yeah, he just turned 54. And I mean, he's had an incredible, wonderful career and he can still go today. I mean, Liger's another one of those guys where when you talk to the young wrestlers, like, you know, Liger hardly took it easy in the ring. Hardly. You know, I mean, he was one of the great high flyers of his day. And he's still out there and he can go. I mean, he's hurting, of course, but, but he looks great and, and he's a superstar. And, you know, you can, you can have that career and, and work, you know, you know what I mean? But, but Liger never did diving headbutts to the floor. Mm-hmm. Right, 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 right. But, you know, like I said, all of us have done stuff just as crazy. Dynamite Kid never did topes. So I think it's one of those things when you combine it with the drug use and the steroids and all that sort of thing, it was probably just a combination of many, many uh, things that you shouldn't be doing that take the toll on your body. Yeah. Last question for you, Dave. Uh, actually, it's a two-parter. What do, you, what do you think Dynamite's legacy is overall? And what's your favorite Dynamite Kid match that you've seen? I mean, I guess if, if, if I'm going to have a favorite Dynamite Kid match, it's still probably going to be the um, the last match that he had with Tiger Mask, which would be August of '83 in Japan. 
as far as like the legacy is a weird one because it's like I think a lot of the modern wrestlers that don't know him don't even realize how much they copy him right because it's like that generation thing that we talked about earlier but um i i think that maybe in his death people are going to realize that that you know again as far as like because i because i think of like the guys like whether it's Shawn michaels or rick flair or or whoever that you know the, this this generation of wrestlers would have grown up and they would have be like the great workers that they saw as kids and Yet, like, I don't see people really copying Shawn Michaels, maybe because they can't. I'm not really sure. I mean, I, I guess there are people who try. And Rick, you know, like Ric Flair, I think people try to copy some of Ric Flair's charisma to a degree. But the Ric Flair ring style, as great as it was, it's, it's very different from, you know, it's, it's not really like what, what we see today, I don't think. Whereas the Dynamite Kid stuff, it's like I see it in, like, you know, half the wrestlers. And every wrestler under 200 pounds, practically, is doing some form of... Um, you know, stuff that Dynamite Kid did, but I hate to say it, not as solid and not as explosive. I mean, he, he still had that um, uh, above, like, even like, you know, another, another one like, is ba- is Finn, ba- Finn Bauer's another one who were, I mm-hmm. watch his style and it's just like, it's, it's kind of like copying Dynamite Kid in a lot of ways. But we, I, and, we, and again, with the same, the same physique and everything, or attempt, you know, same yeah. cut physique. You just answered too. your own question, though. I think when you're talking about Flair or Sean, it's moves that guys are emulating. Whereas Dynamite Kid was a style. It was a whole intensity combined with quickness, combined with these high flying moves in a in a in a you know a Japanese, British, European, American cocktail. You know yeah. what I mean? Like if someone was gonna and not that anybody does, but if someone was gonna try and emulate Chris Jericho, there's not really any moves that I do that no one else does, but there's a certain style that comes from a guy like Benoit that came from a guy like Dynamite, which is kind of this cocktail of all these different areas put together with the quickness and the intensity that Dynamite Kid used. I think that might be my definition of what Dynamite did that was uh, original to all. Yeah, I think that I think that him and, and Sayama too, because when I first saw Sayama, I mean, the one thing was that Sayama went to England and Sayama went to Mexico, and Sayama was like a kickboxer, so he had that shoot thing in him, and he was trained in the New Japan Dojo, and, and also Sayama and Dynamite knew each other from England because Sayama went to England right as Dynamite was leaving. I think he was getting there. So it's kind of like, they, you know, I mean, I, I really, you know, it's, 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 it's so funny looking back at those matches. I haven't thought about those matches in years and years. But now when he passed away, you start thinking of him and then people start, you know, showing them on YouTube and stuff. And I kind of start watching them. And it's like, wow, this is, it's, it's, it was so much ahead of its time. And it was so much what an aspect of pro wrestling morphed into because of these guys. And then it's like, these guys, I knew they were going to open doors. Even, even then, like I knew they were going to open doors to smaller guys because it was so entertaining, but I never thought it would be to the degree it was, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah. And I think too, like dynamite was just as good as a single wrestler as he was as a tag team, which is a rare thing. Cause I think of, you know, if you could ask me what my favorite was, I mean, I loved, you mentioned Bulldogs versus Malenko's. I've watched that a hundred times. I loved Bulldogs versus uh, Valentine and Beefcake for different reasons uh, at WrestleMania, winning the tag team titles. And then, of course, you know, the, the classic of, of, of uh, Siama and Dynamite in, in Madison Square Garden. So you have a guy that's just as good as a tag team wrestler, as a singles wrestler, which is another pretty rare thing. But overall, one of the greatest of all time with one of the most tragic stories uh, surrounding him uh, as well. Well, Dave, thanks, man. It's always a blast talking to you and uh, hearing your insight and uh, 
we'll get together again soon and talk about something a little bit more uh, happy. We'll talk about like a unicorns and rainbows podcast or something. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Thanks, man. Okay, I'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon, bud. Bye. All right, bye. All right, thanks again to Dave Meltzer from the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. Uh, you can subscribe to at WrestlingObserver.com. All the update uh, on the news. Uh, huge, uh, uh, I guess, uh, obituary. A huge write-up on, on Dynamite Kid this week talking all about his life and times. I appreciate Dave coming in to talk about the complicated career and uh, legacy of Tommy Billington, a.k.a. the Dynamite Kid, and helping me pay uh, some respect and tribute to him as a performer. Dynamite such an influence on the business uh, on me personally uh, rest in peace dynamite kid all right coming up friday speaking of rest in peace it's the end of pot of thunder after five and a half years of analyzing each and every kiss song the guys are now joining me right here on talk is jericho for the classic album clash all right straight from the pot of thunder podcast to do classic album clash right here kiss alive versus kiss alive too that's right with the hosts of pot of thunder Andy and Nick and Chris L. One of my favorite KISS podcasts out there is Pot of Thunder. And Nick, Andy, and Chris joining on Friday to debate the two albums that changed uh, KISS's career song by song, share some great KISS stories along the way. It's a lot of fun. The return of the classic album clash, KISS Alive versus KISS Alive 2, coming up on Friday. Until then, stay hard, stay hungry, peace, love, and hugs, and a big yeah boy. See you on Friday.